Hello, and welcome to Train Pop Culture. It would be nice to start today's pod with a joke about a small bird made of oak, wouldn't it? Well, as that joke went underappreciated, so did the films we're about to talk about. Because today's podcast is about uh, our picks of films that went sort of under the radar or underappreciated or just didn't get the attention we feel they needed. So uh, today it's being hosted by myself, Johnson, and as always are my lovely compatriots. Strawny. Strawny. The most underappreciated member of this podcast, Kimbo. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. Most underappreciated. I call bullshit on that. Yeah, I'm supposed we heard you that clearly with your head that far up your own arse. But we'll we'll get back to it then. So what we're doing today, as I said, we're doing uh, sort of underrated films, ones that we think should have got uh, the attention we feel they deserve, or ones that uh, sort of the general public and the critics decided, now we don't like this, but we're like, actually, no, that's a good film. So we'll start with that category. What we'll be going, what I will be calling flops that shouldn't. Basically, films that critic were critically panned, or didn't make anywhere near enough money that they should have. And my pick to start with is one of the most renowned flops, Waterworld. It's only got a forty-three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Even though the film had a budget of 175 mil, it only made 264 mil back at the box office. So it didn't even double its money. It just really sort of made a profit as such. But as a result, though, it didn't make enough for the industry to take notice. And personally, I quite, I quite like Waterworld. It's, it's a very interesting film to me. And Dennis Hopper is the bad guy is i think one of the best pieces of casting ever because you can see that he is he's been given free reign and he is having the most fun with that role he is just going for broke as this um chain smoking petrol loving gas guzzling tyrant on the high seas and just being a terror to everyone and if you actually look the story is actually quite interesting you know, it brings up a lot of interesting things, like uh, Kevin Costner's character is um, got a mutation that enables him to breathe underwater. And as this is set well into the future, you'd expect sort of certain mutations due to the fact that they said a nuclear war caused the ice caps to melt. So there's a lot of radiation. So there's the potential for mutation. And of course, not the whole world won't be covered. There's not enough water, so there will be dry land, and it's them looking for it. But I actually really enjoyed it. I thought I thought it was actually quite well done. I mean, the stunts and the cinematography are absolutely amazing. You can see where you can exactly see where the budget went. It it just excuse the pun blew the budget out of the water, uh, blew the others out of the water for the effects. I mean, it did win an, an Oscar for the effects, so yeah, you can see that. But I really enjoyed it, and I genuinely sort of don't understand why it got panned as much as it did. I can understand people not liking the concept, but to pan the film as bad is like, well, it's not actually that bad. 
mean, Kevin Costner's actually doing a half decent job of acting for once. So, you know, he actually seems like he's trying and he's playing the character because he's meant the character's meant to be this, you know, lonely guy that's sort of feared by the world. So he's got a bit of hatred behind himself and he's a, a survivor. So he plays that really well. What about you guys? Am I am I just one of the few insane people that like this film? I have nothing interesting to add because all I know are the memes that Waterworld is a bag of shit. I've never seen the film. <laughs> never heard about it until you said it just. You've never heard of Waterworld? I mean, I've heard of the theme park, or theme park, uh, the water park where you know, oh, we right. live, but I've never heard of the film. I've heard of Kevin Costner. <laughs> but, I mean, I'll go and uh, watch it now, if, it's, if, it, like, if you can stream it anywhere. Um, I think it's, it, is still a blo- it is still a summer blockbuster, so it's still out there in places. I mean, apparently it's, it's on Prime to rent, to rent so I'll check yeah. it out. Yeah. I mean, in terms of Waterworld, I, did, I remember watching that when it kind of got released on probably VHS at the time. Um, it never really, like, I never hated it. I don't think it deserved to get as much shit as it always gets. I don't, it's not a awesome, like, I, I, it wasn't for me. Like, it's not a bad film. Um, as an interesting side tangent, there was recently something that I watched online and there's a tattoo art historian and he was reviewing movie tattoos and giving them like a score of one to ten. So it was like Blade um, and John Wick. And it's the tattoo of the map on the girl. Is it the girl in Waterworld that has the tattoo of the map? And it got one of the lowest scorings on this whole thing that he did. He said it's for the era it's meant to be set in why the hell are they doing early 90s tattooing still? And as a map, it doesn't function because they broke down the tattoo and it doesn't actually work. Uh, That's the only thing of interest I've got to add, (laughs) which isn't technically to do with how well the film did. But yeah, it was was a film. It happened. It exists. If it brings somebody some joy, power to it. Okay, so yeah, turns out I am just one of those weirdos then, because some of you have either never watched it or never even heard of it, so that's a, a thing. But yeah, I did, I'm with the tattooists on this, with the girl, the girl's tattoo, and it says it's meant to be a map to dry land, and it's literally a, a circle with uh, the Chinese characters or Japanese characters for lap dry land, and then a picture of a mountain at the bottom of it. It's like, how is that in any way of the thing but i think i will stop talking now and we'll move on to the next person's pick that would be me um right so that we were going with um commercial underrated film like commercially and kind of critically technically it's the technical underrated films that didn't make sense to us um And after much deliberation, I landed on, I don't think any of you would have guessed this, um, but it was Disney's Treasure Planet. Because when you break down Disney's Treasure Planet, on paper, this film should have printed money. And this was released back in 2002. Um, It was like the 43rd animated feature film. 
um, an adaptation of Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. So you're already running off the back of it's a well-known and well-ingrained in most childhood reading kind of story. Everybody knows Treasure Island. It's pirates. And Disney took pirates and made it pirates in space. So awesome. That should work. Um, it was mainly 2D hand-drawn animation, but it also uh, kind of integrated 3D computer animation. And so visually, it was actually really quite stunning. They they managed to strike that balance really well. Um, it was, you know, it it cost them 140 million to make. Most of this budget to do with the CG animation aspects of the movie. The cast list for the voice work, you've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the main character. You've got David Hyde Pierce, which is Fraser Crane's brother in Fraser. for those listening at home, if you think you remember the name but you can't place who it is. And Emma Thompson. Like, those three names alone are pretty decent. You've got Martin Short, very well-known comedy actor, as Ben. Ben was not necessarily very well received, which, you know, I can sort of understand why, but it wasn't an awful character. Like, it cost $140 million to make. It was a beautiful movie. Objectively, it's like, even looking back at it now, the animation work, that film, is very beautiful. It's well rendered. It's well put together. I think they managed to marry the 2D and the 3D aspects very well. It wasn't, for the time it was made in as well, and considering this was quite a new concept, merging the, the two things together, it was very cohesive. And it was a really interesting interpretation of a very, very old story. And this is Disney's bread and butter. Disney, of always, for as long as we can remember, have taken old childhood fairy tales, old childhood stories, and then put a spin on them and re release them. And Disney just print money. And it just did not do well at all. Um, it, it didn't even make $110 million back. And it cost them 140 million to make. So financially, it was really, really poorly reviewed. Like it just did not make the money. And apparently it was really, really early doors that they realized it was going to bottom out in terms of turnover. I think it was like the fourth quarter, like Buena Vista realized like this isn't going to make what we spent back on it. Rotten Tomatoes, it gets like a 69% positive review based on 150 reviews average rating 6.5 metacritic 60 out of 100 there's there's not a lot of high rating scores anywhere critically for it and i just never understood it but it's a film that i have watched more than once it's it's a delightful movie it's one of the few that isn't like princess driven it's got kind of that aladdin vibe you're following a young diamond in the rough go on an exciting journey and come out the other side a more mature well-rounded grown-up almost like by the end of the film you, your main character has kind of got his shit together gone on the journey come out the other side better and is behaving well again like this i just never understood it i don't understand how this both financially and critically did so poorly when on paper, this should have just been just bankable. This should have just made hand over fist money. 
they should have easily made their money back if not doubled what they spent on it and it just it landed badly never got it anybody else watch it anybody else agree or did you agree with the you know rest of the world i've only ever seen it i've not i've not ever seen it i've only ever heard of it because you talk about it a lot when we talk disney films that is my knowledge of treasure planet just for people listening at home as uh, for some context i will commonly refer to uh, Disney's live-action remakes, they're remaking the wrong films. Um, I don't feel the need for Disney to be remaking the classics that already made Hand Over Fist type money. I feel that they should be delivering the ones that kind of hardcore Disney fans fell in love with, never got the critical acclaim they deserved, Treasure Planet being one of them, Atlantis being another. They're the ones that you will see on most kind of Disney fan forums and whatnot online. They're the two films that we are constantly begging for live action remakes of. I think Treasure Planet, it 2002 came out. So yeah, there's been ample time now. If we're going to follow the an alternate episodes podcast rules, um, there's been sufficient time for them to now tackle that. So it would make a great live action remake. But Kimbo, you should definitely watch it. It's right up your alley. It's it's just super fun. There's no songs though, so no villain song. But the villain is. You know, a cyborg. So, what's not to love? It's Ace, honestly. And there's a really cute character called Morph, which is basically a pink animated version of Flubber that replaces the role of a parrot in terms of like the pirate pet mythos. His name is Morph, and he morphs into objects and causes hijinks and shenanigans. He's beautiful. You'd love him. Handing back over. Yeah. I've I've seen it and I 100% agree. It was I was really good, and the the idea of updating Treasure Planet to make it a sci-fi, you know, Treasure Island even to make it a sci-fi, fits perfectly well because it's still it's still basically the same concept: setting out on a ship into the unknown in order to find great treasure. I mean, but it was really well done as well. I I didn't understand why it failed either because it was just like. It's it's like you say, it's literally their bread and butter on, you know, poor kid comes out of the woodworks, makes good, good triumphs over evil in order to get. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't understand why why it did badly. And it's good. I mean, even the spaceships are traditional pirate ships just with solar sails. So they're flying around in space on recognizable pirate ships recognizable old english seafaring story ships and you've even got like the bad guy in it comes good because john silver's like faced with getting his treasure or saving the boy that he's sort of fallen a little bit in love with like in a fatherly way like nothing weird there but like he he has to weigh up like saving the child or getting this treasure that he spent his entire life looking for and the bad guy comes good and he saves the boy like it's just it's such a positive story and it's so well told and it's just so pretty shame uh, my only gripe with the film is I'm, I'm sure it's been tackled with uh, the various reviews and whatnot um but the animation style as you said like was beautiful and whatnot but there was parts where i found it a bit jarring where there was cartoon animation overlapped with cgi animation but then it would be like completely 
cartoon the next, then complete CGI the next. It was it was very patchwork for me, but that's just my personal uh, gripe with it. I'm going to move on to mine, and it'll be no surprise to the guys and girls listening, knowing that I'm a massive Kevin Smith fan, I would choose this movie. Um, it's chronologically the first film in the viewers universe franchise but it's the second film kevin released and that's mall rats it the budget was 6.1 million dollars it made at the box office 2.1 million it was critically panned and literally some on rotten tomatoes it's got a 56 percent tomato meter rating and some of the reviews are scathing it's just like stuff like where is it how can a reviewer write about a movie that makes dumb and dumber seem like a merchant ivory production it was just hateful scathing reviews and i know it's since gone on to have like a massive cult following as kevin has proven through the years but there was people who had worked with kevin and they even panned it afterwards they were just like what the fuck is he thinking 25 years on we're getting a fucking blu-ray anniversary edition being put out through arrow so you know it's not been too bad but when you think that kevin's other movies have done far better arguably for less reasons i mean clerks had a budget of two hundred and thirty thousand dollars made 3.2 million at the box office you would think the next film should make a fucking fortune no because the critics fucking hate it and i don't get why because it's just it's kevin by numbers it's it's exactly what you, if you've watched Clerks, you know what to expect. You expect stoner humor. You expect fucking, if you look at the picture long enough, you'll see a schooner. You expect probably the most disgusting joke in Hollywood at the time, the stink palm. You, the dodgy Batman replica outfits, the dodgy Batman accessories with the grappling gun. The, the Jedi mind trick with the cigarette. Like, it's it's Kevin by numbers. It should have made an absolute fortune. But instead, critics hated it. And I just can't get my head around it. What do you guys think? They just weren't ready for it, man. They just weren't ready. Sorry, Kimbo interrupted. It's okay, mate. I just wanted to carry on my theme. I've not seen this either. I only know about it because you talk about it a lot. <laughs> That's me, Don. See you next pick. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I'm with you. It's very much a Kevin Smith film. And if you liked, if you liked Clerks and didn't like this, then I don't understand why. Uh, how how you can get that sort of sort of disparate thought pattern? So hang on a sec. Clerks is literally about a guy who came in on on his day off and then a few odd things in the shop happen. That's it. And it's full of stoner humour and dirty jokes. Uh, but, you know, 
if you like that, then why don't you like this film, which is about a guy who's going to a mall in order to... It's got an actual storyline. Goes, Guy wants to propose to his girl, but the girl um, is pissed off that he's, you know, too obsessed with going on holiday. She doesn't know the reason. So she gets pissed off and says, no, I'm going to help my dad with this game show instead. And, you know, I'll see you later. And he's got to go and go there and try and convince her, no, this is the reason. So it's got an actual storyline to it. So you can't say, oh, nothing happens because more happens in this. You can't say, oh, the humor's worse. It's the exact same people and characters. So you can't even say, oh, it's different. It's it's the same characters, not just actors, but the same characters. So, yeah, I, I don't understand. It's. I really love it. I laugh my tits off every time I see it. So, yeah. Another one of the reviews was there's a lot of narrative dead air and too many guest appearances. The only major guest appearance I can think of is Stan Lee. Because at the time, Brad Pitt isn't massive. Not Brad Pitt, Ben Affleck. Jason Lee. None of them are massive actors at this point. It's just like, oh, Natalie. I mean, I would potentially argue that, like, considering where it's ended up, it's ended up in a very, very different place than where it started. Like, critically, it was just absolutely torn to shreds. But this was only his second film. And as much as it is definitely Kevin by numbers, we know that retrospectively. More Rats is one film, uh, Clerks, rather, is the first film. And they are where there are definitely similarities between the two. There's more going on in More Rats, so you wouldn't necessarily be able to go, well, I like this, so I'm definitely going to love everything about that because there's quite a lot of different aspects in More Rats than there were in Clerks. There's a lot more going on in More Rats. So I think that they probably just judged him quite harshly because the, the stuff that was different was quite loud and the stuff that wasn't was almost completely carbon copied. So I think he just got given a really bad rap for something that he probably didn't really, that he didn't deserve the negativity that it was it received because more rats is not an awful film and it's you know ultimately it stood the test of time it's now a cult classic it's got a massive following it's it's fucking huge in like the nerd areas of the of the web and whatnot like people fucking love more rats now and it was you know it it gave stanley his first comic book cameo so to speak, like it introduced a world to Stan Lee that hadn't seen him before and didn't understand the relevance of him before. And Stan Lee, years and years after that, constantly made jokes at Kevin Smith about, you know, like he's one of the highest grossing actors in the world. Like he's got better numbers than Will Smith for the films that he's been in. This was Stan Lee talking. Like he's, he's got better numbers than most big A-list American actors. And the one thing that lets him down is more rats. And he's just constantly like give, gave Kev a really hard time about the fact that his numbers were all fucked up because of more rats. But on the same kind of, at the same time, like he, he fucking loved it. And he went back for more. He did more cameos with Kev. So I don't know. I don't think it deserved the hate it got. And I think objectively, you can kind of say, well, it definitely didn't get the correct reception that it deserved because now it's an absolute cult classic. 
I mean, was it like 25th anniversary edition's been released, loads of extras and stuff like now, and there's a massive market for it. So it, ultimately, time, enough time passed for that film to be like, fuck you guys, suck my dick. Which, you know, not all films that went under the radar the first time round get the satisfaction of being able to do. So fuck it. Yeah, it bombed. Didn't deserve to, but look where it is now. And we're finally getting a sequel. Anyway, over to Kimbo. So, I'm ready to upset people. I picked for my critically panned film, The Wonderful X-Men Apocalypse. So, why it is underrated? Let me start with the negatives. It did get on the wonderful Rotten Tomatoes, 47% 47% based on 333 reviews with an average rating of 5.64 out of 10. On Metacritic, it's got a 52 out of 100 based on 48 critics. But on post track, they give it a definite recommended of 62%. I don't know what post track is. Um, why I like it, I'm not going to lie to you. I like it because Olivia Munn as Psylocke is great. And the sweet dream scene with Evan Peters is absolutely incredible and possibly the best superhero scene over the last 10 years. Bite me. Um, I understand why it's negatively reviewed. Apocalypse looks like a blue bag of shit for the whole film. But everyone else is great. That cast. uh, The X-Men cast is incredible. At the best of times, McAvoy, Fassbender, Lawrence, Oscar Isaac as Apocalypse, uh, Nicholas Holt as Beast, who is a personal favourite of mine, Evan Peters, who I mentioned. Uh, I liked Ty Sheridan as Cyclops and Sokotina as Jean Grey. They were great. Olivia Munn also mentioned uh, the guy I'd never heard of before is Nightcrawler. I love Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler is in my top five favourite comic book characters of all time. Another podcast. Um, yeah, that's why I like it. That's why it's critically hated. What do you people think? And today, playing the role of Kimbo is Natalie. Um, I never watched it, so I have nothing to say. Enjoy, guys. Uh, I'm unfortunately on the, the critic side with this. It was, yeah. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence literally phones, pretty much phones in her her lines. There's, you can see behind her eyes, she's literally just thinking about what she's going to do with the paycheck. The the last scene where she's tra- she's training, you know, about to train them all. Oh, thank God on this. It's like, bloody hell, woman, can you please give a crap? And um, I, I agree with you that the, um, what is, uh, uh, Quicksilver's, Quicksil- any scene that Quicksilver's in is awesome. Evan Peters is a brilliant actor and in this he is exceptional yeah that i do love the bit where he puts his headphones on and just zips around and saves everyone's saves everyone and also he does it deliberately in a comic way he could have taken an easier option but he doesn't he goes no i'm gonna do this the fun way and he does it that way because he's got the time to do it but there's some unnecessary bits in where you can basically see the producer going see see we added wolverine in 
see, you like Wolverine. Here he is. He's added in. It's like, yeah, but the scene made no sense and went nowhere. But, but, but Wolverine? It's like, yeah, but it didn't matter. What you didn't need to crowbar him in. So there's a, a few bits. So I'm like, yeah. I mean, it wasn't terrible. I'll give him that. It wasn't terrible. The acting, other than Lawrence, was really good. It just seemed parts of it were unnecessary. They got half of the characters wrong, and it was just a bit meh. Just a very quick statement on uh, your criticism of J-Law's acting. She won an award for this film. She won the People's Choice Award for Favourite Movie Actress for X-Men Apocalypse. It did. It also won a second award that I feel like I need to mention. Uh, the Spike Guys Choice Awards, never heard of them before, but I like them, gave the John claude Goddamn Award to Olivia Munn for her role in this film. That's all. Strong male. Of course, the John claude Goddamn Award is given to Olivia Munn. I'm assuming that's sort of like sex award, sexual appeal award or something. It just sounds dodgy. Um, I like the film. Uh, it's not as bad as Last Stand, so, you know, that's always a bonus. Um, one of my highlights from it is, again, it's going back to Quicksilver, but the fact it's such a subtle nod, but the fact that Quicksilver wears a Rush t-shirt, it's a brilliant like little inside joke that he, he listens to Rush and he, his powers, he moves really fucking fast. That is fucking brilliant. You've got me signed up straight away. Any, th- any film that includes Rush in any sort of capacity, sign me up. I'll buy the T-shirt. I'll buy the Funko. There we go. That's me. Yeah, I loved it. It's just If you want to pick on an X-Men film, pick on Last Stand, because that was wank. I'd also say pick on Dark Phoenix as well. That is also wank. Agreed. I've not watched it yet. Not watched it yet, so I can't pass judgment on that one. But Last Stand was wank. Well... Since we've all had a go of uh, critically underrated and uh, spent a bit of time with mostly agreeing, but sometimes not. However, now we go on to the ones that we probably might be actually on our own, mainly because it's we're probably the only ones that watched it. It's uh, our underrated gems. So basically ones where we think... It it should have got more hype than it did, or it should have uh, got more attention than it did. It's not critically bad. It's just relatively unheard of, really. Uh, and my my one is uh, an American Indi- uh, Iranian co-production called "A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night." It's a little story about uh, a young girl in uh, a rundown. Uh, poverty-stricken Iranian city uh, and she skateboards sort of around the streets at night uh, uh, and she preys on um, men who uh, are abusive or horrible to women she's a vampire so she uh, you know trains them she goes hunting but she only goes hunting for abusers essentially and then during her sort of jaunts at night she meets a, a young boy realizes that not all men are bad and you know falls for this guy and realizes he's in a bad situation and tries to help him out as well it's a it's a it really is a, a sort of a, a very very beautiful film it's shot in black and white uh just to give it sort of 
it, it really gives it more funnily enough it really gives it more of a depth uh, because of the cinematography chosen it's um by uh, an american iranian writer and director called anna lily amipour uh, she also did bad batch and but i really like this film and i mean those weirdly those who saw it like it as well it's got 96 on rotten 96 percent on rotten tomatoes but it's just it it so it came out at sundance to you know a, a essentially world of applause and it didn't really take off but that's mainly because it is sort of an iranian american indie co-production so there wasn't re outside of outside of film snobs like myself and uh, film festivals it it didn't do much i mean the budget was only sort of uh, fifty seven thousand dollars it did make um six hundred and twenty eight thousand at the box office so it really raked in far more than it uh, did so it was a massive success both critically and financially and it got um anna amipour sort of on the map which is why she managed to do um bad batch and she just filled it with ca <laughs> with cameos um but directed them really well but that's a different film but this one i can't recommend it uh, enough it's one of the best takes i've seen on a vampire genre that i've seen and it's an absolutely beautiful film and it's very it's very subtle as well there's not much dialogue like most of her films it's it's far more of a visual storytelling and it's just a beauty to watch and everyone in it acts um, when they acts amazingly because they've got so little dialogue to work with they've got to physically act so when they do they blow it out the water and it's it's just a beautiful little gem of a film that really should have really once it started making money that put the like people should have said right let's let's show this to more people let's let's get it out there but it I think it's picking up now, but because of Bad Batch, because that was a huge thing, you know, that one on Netflix, and that did massively well. So I think people looked at the writer and director, saw her old film, and has gone back to it. So I think it's retrospectively sort of picking up an audience. As I say, can't recommend it enough. Uh, any of you guys actually heard of it? Um, I've actually seen it. Ooh. It's all right. I don't really like... Um, I'm trying to uh, kind of come into these episode recordings like for people at home as well like this is for you as well I'm trying to be as positive as I can I, I try not to just kind of aggressively shit on something just because it wasn't for me um but like it was all it was all right like it wasn't the film I went with <laughs> for this selection um I can see why you'd have enjoyed it uh, it was it's Visually, it's quite pleasant. Like I just, I've I've watched it once and never went back to it again. Like I, it, it didn't set my soul on fire, but it was an all right film. I think it did as well as it needed to do. In a shocking twist, I have nothing to add. I've heard of it, and I know they released a graphic novel based around the backstory of one of the characters. But I think with the budget that was crowdfunded. I think they've done a cracking job to get as far as they have with it. Um, I know films that have been crowdfunded like Lord of Tears that have made nowhere near that sort of um, level of notoriety. Uh, but yeah, by all means, I'll check it out. Um, 
as I assume and hope that some of our listeners will do as well. But yeah, thanks for the heads up. I would say that the uh, the poster for that film is fucking stunning. So if you're a, like a movie nerd or a movie fan and have like movie themed decor or anything, it's definitely worth like, what? don't just buy the poster because it looks cool because that's pretentious as shit. But like, watch the film and if you like it, look at the poster and buy that in our backseat collection because the poster is beautiful. It's just black, white and red. It's very graphic. It's just, it's beautiful design. Like the poster work for it was stunning. Uh, the film, yeah, it's decent. And since I'm talking, I'll carry on. Um, for myself, um, I'm not. I, I know one person out the four, like, of the three of you have definitely watched this because I forced him to, um, because I'm completely reasonable and give him choices. And I was like, we can watch this or I can sulk. So we watched it. Um, <laughs> but I feel like it was a good call. Um, it's The Fisher King. Uh, it came out in 1991. And it starred uh, Robin Williams, Jeff Bridges, try that again, Jeff Bridges, Amanda Plummer, you'll know as um, Honey Bunny, Pulp Fiction. She's one of those actresses, you know the face, you can never remember her name. And uh, Mercedes, is it? I think it's pronounced Rule. Um, I might be horribly wrong with the pronunciation of her name, though, um, which is really unfortunate. Again, an actress that you'll know her face, uh, but you won't necessarily be able to place where you know her from. She was in Big and The Warriors. Most recently, she's been in Hustlers, apparently. When I was doing a quick check, uh, you will absolutely know her face, though. Um, but yeah, came out in 1991. Uh, critically, did pretty well. Uh, budget was 24 million. It made 41.9 million back at the box office. So technically, it did really well. The problem is not a lot of people have heard of this film. And that makes me deeply, deeply sad. Because the basic premise of The Fisher King is Jeff Bridges is a narcissistic shock jockey that doesn't really care about anything or anyone or the ramifications his words might have. He's notorious on his radio DJ show. Um, and at the very beginning of the film, this is not a spoiler because it's literally right at the beginning of the film, Jeff Bridges' character, his name's Jack, um, he has a caller ring into his show um, very desperate. Jack basically tells him to go fuck himself in the TLDR version of things. This caller is really mentally unwell and unbalanced and he goes into a new restaurant and um, th there's a mass shooting and he kills all these people in the restaurant. Um, I think he kills himself as well and it just completely ruins the career of Jack. Like nobody will touch him because basically they put one and one together and it's Jack's complete disregard and lack of understanding of the ramifications his words will have on his audience directly results in this man taking a lot of innocent people's lives and you're following Jack from that point on becomes uh, he starts drinking very heavily he's not working anymore he's very despondent um, and then he meets Perry and this is uh, Robin Williams character Robin Williams character Perry is um, homeless um, and he's on a quest for the Holy Grail. And this all sounds very farcical and very comical. Um, but Perry is really, really damaged. And throughout the course of the film, you just fall further and further in love with Perry because he's just so broken. And he has these horrible flashbacks, but they're not flashbacks. He has like visions of this knight, this flaming red knight on this horse that haunts him. And he's been damaged in some way. And it's not until later on in the film that you realise what caused the problem and who Perry was. 
and it's basically it's it's not a buddy film by any stretch of the imagination but it's the relationship between jack and perry uh, perry intervenes when jack decides he's going to kill himself because of like how shitty his life's got he's going to kill himself he gets attacked by a bunch of guys because they assume that jack's homeless perry intervenes and saves him um and then this relationship blossoms and it's just it's this beautiful nuanced journey of watching this man deal with finally realizing his guilt for what he did forming this beautiful relationship with perry and trying to make perry whole again and trying to bring him back into society trying to give him friends and the reason perry is how he is and this you end up on this by the end of the film you kind of you're heartbroken and you're close to tears and you will never if you watch i highly recommend anybody watch the fisher king because you watch that film and you will never view anybody living on the streets in the same way ever again you'll feel deep you'll feel deeply ashamed of how judgmental you've been about homeless people up until that point you will also have a, a deep respect for people that have mental health problems and have been broken in some way and it will make you more empathetic to a degree like you will have a lot more time and patience and you'll it just it's it's sort of it's almost an upbeat story but it isn't it's it's very very sad and it's very very moving and robin williams just acts the shit out of it like people know him for his comedy roles and don't get me wrong he's he's got these kind of zany aspects because he's on this quest for the holy grail and he's clearly mentally unstable but he's mentally ill and so it's not wacky and funny it's a little bit unsettling and you feel really sad and you get really attached to him and it's just really beautiful and he just like it's it makes me deeply sad that people don't know about this film please people listening at home watch the fisher king it's beautiful there are little moments in that that film from beginning to end that just leave you a little bit breathless please if you watch one watch the fisher king it will make you feel better about life and it will make you reassess the way that you view people anybody even heard of it i've heard of it i don't know how i've heard of it but i've heard of it i have in a shocking twist nothing to add about the fisher king however if you want to watch a film that isn't mentioned on this podcast and is just a real good laugh, watch Hustlers. Hustlers is great. On to everyone else. I've not seen it, and I've only heard of it because you've talked about it before with us. Um, but yeah, it is on my list to to act, uh, is on my list to go see because yeah, I mean. It's Robin Williams actually acting again. Because now, before anyone jumps down me, what I mean is he usually plays like you say the the crazy zany comedy character, but this is him going for more depth, like he did with like a one hour photo and so on. From the sounds of it, so sounds like he's actually putting depth and nuance into the role. So it's definitely up there for me to watch. Yeah, Perry is. Um one of the most human characters you've ever seen on film like he is deeply real he's just so well put together and everything about the way that robin williams portrays perry and when you see flashbacks of who perry was before he had his catatonic breakdown 
you see where he was and where he's got to. I, I defy you not to be like deeply moved, if not teary-eyed, because it's not gonna it's not gonna be a tearjerker for everyone. I got teary-eyed, but I'm an emotional wet blanket. Like I cry when I see a kitten on Facebook. So you know, but it is like <laughs> it's deeply moving. Like Robin Williams got he was so fucking talented and it's a perfect example of robin williams as a genuinely good actor just as a side note just for a little bit of added extra bonus knowledge for your book um this got nominated in 11 different award kind of category no not categories different what's the word i'm looking for like it got nominated for the Academy Awards and for BAFTAs. Like there was 11 of them that they got nominated in. They, over these 11, they received 34 separate nominations over these 11 different award ceremonies. That's the word I was after, ceremonies. Of the 34 they received nominations for, they won 12 of them. And seven of them went to Mercedes Rule for her role in that film. Like it got nominated for all the fucking awards academy awards mercedes rule won and golden globes robin williams won and mercedes rule won and baftos had just got nominated there was just so many fucking nominations for that film and all completely warranted i'm just going to reinforce what you said there natalie please watch this movie i would tell you to watch what i'm about to talk about but this film especially just reinforces the phrase like the, the sentiments we are all one really bad day away from being on the streets ourselves, especially in the current climate. Um, it's so beautiful. It's I cried my eyes out at the end of the film. Um, it's just borderline perfect. It's, yeah, I can't even talk about it for too long because I will get like emotional and I'll start crying on podcasts. Um, that's the last thing I want to edit out of a podcast, so, you know... Uh, I'll move on to mine. And this, again, will be no surprise as I've spoken about it before. But given the nature of what we're talking about and how critically unaware and how, not, not even critically, but like how much this film flies under the radar, um, Interstate 60, I've spoken about it before, I've spoken about it all the time to you guys. This film had a budget of $7 million dollars. It made eight and a half thousand dollars. In the grand scheme of things, that is a drop in the fucking ocean compared to the budget. It doesn't even have a Rotten Tomato rating. It is that off the radar. And when I've said before, you've got people like Gary Oldman, Christopher Lloyd, um, Amy Smart, James Marsden, Michael J. Fox, Chris Cooper, Kurt Russell. It's just, it, it should have made an absolute fortune. It should be renowned for being the film that it is. And it's, it's a life-affirming movie. It, for me, reinforces what the meaning of life is. It's, life doesn't have a set meaning. You give it a meaning through living your life. And it's just, it's perfect. I know you guys have got various issues with it, and it's, it is what it is, but... For me, it's flawless. It's my go-to movie. If I'm going to be upset or whatever. If I'm feeling blue and depressed, I'm going through a bit of a dark time. 
whack it on, I feel a little bit better about myself. So yeah, Interstate 60, Episodes of the Road. It's, yeah, as much as I would like to tell you guys to, uh, you listeners to watch this, watch Fisher King first and then go back and watch this. Yeah. I'm going to disagree with you, not on the film, on your point that we had our issues. I loved it, and you know I loved it. I was telling you, as I, I was messaging you as I was watching it, saying, why haven't I heard of this film? Oh, my God, this is amazing. Because it is it is just, I love the fact that it's just so, and I, I hate to, to use the term because it's very sort of 90s TV exec, but it's off the wall and zany. But it is that sort of stuff just sort of, weird stuff just sort of happens and rather than going oh, where's this come from this don't make sense it's sort of you're drawn in and going go on where is this gonna go yeah okay there's a, a town full of law that only consists of lawyers and they're all suing each other for whatever effort anything and everything go on i want to see how this pans out and other stuff like that and it's just it's just really entertaining and it is it is a a lovely at the heart of it though it is a lovely film as well guy sort of goes out and ends up sort of discovering what you know he realizes what why am i caring so much about so much let's just live my life and let's just see where the road takes you know see where life takes me and it's it's a it's a beautiful film and i loved every second of it i liked it it was good i've actually got to say on this one um, I think I had minor flaws with it. I can't fully remember because it was like two years ago. But I think I had minor flaws. But overall, I enjoyed it. It's a good watch. I'd watch it again if I had free time. I mean, I'm kind of just shook because, like, between the the four of us listeners at home, we all know how deeply and passionately uh, Strawn Male, husband dearest adores this film so for him to say i love this but watch fisher king was kind of uh, threw me off for a minute and i couldn't remember what i was going to say about his film because i was just like really quite moved by that so yeah watch fisher king but um interstate 60 it's great it's just such a a feel-good film like for i remember having a conversation uh with straw mail about this film after that he basically fisher king me he sat down and made me watch this film. There was the choice of watch Interstate 60 or watch him sulk. So we watched Interstate 60. Um, uh, but by the time we got to the end of the film, like it was just, it was really great. And I couldn't believe I'd not heard of it because it is uh, right up my alley, like, uh, or at least alley adjacent. So like, it's, it's a film I should have known about um, and was deeply surprised I'd never heard of it, particularly when you look at the cast. Um, I have no idea how it is so under the radar. Like for... I remember making a, a comment after we watched it, it was like Interstate 60 for you is basically the equivalent of the alchemist for me. Um, and it's like the story that tells you like life is a journey and the only meaning you get from that journey is by just being on the journey. Like you've got to just live. You've got to kind of trust your gut and listen to the signs and whether those signs are like in the alchemist, you know, something in the sand or a tree or you know a sheep walking in a certain direction or if we're in interstate 60 it's literally signs it's road signs telling him where to go and him actually responding to them and just having faith in seeing a sign and following his gut and seeing something through the the alchemist and the interstate 60 have very similar kind of core messages so 
it was a, a fair exchange. Like I've given him the alchemist, he gave me in state 60 and they're both very uplifting experiences. Like you get to the end of either of those and you kind of go, do you know what? Life might be a shit show and the world might be on fire, but I've just got to have faith that it's all going to come good. Like it's, it's not over till it's over. It's not over right now if it's shitty because it can't end shitty. It's got to get better. I've just got to have faith that it'll get better. And I think that that's a beautiful thing and more people should watch it. I'd tell you to watch in State 60 over Fisher King, but I still think Fisher King's better. <laughs> Fucking is though, mate. Fight me. I think I think the point you had with it, Kimbo, was something to do with his girlfriend in it. He, you don't see the girlfriend after he comes back from the journey. And that's never brought up or anything, um, which I, I get is a completely valid point, but, you know, she's a bitch, so fuck her. Um, the reason there's there's a uh, Interstate 60 is the reason I smoke a pipe and have an eight ball on my desk at home. It's that much part of my existence now. It's ingrained in my DNA. Anyway, Kimbo, what's your uh, off the wall under the radar well boys and girls it's time to set a scene picture this a 16 year old handsome devilish boy sat in his bedroom thinking i'm bored i want to watch something with zoe deschanel in it i'll hit up my lesbian friend who likes zoe deschanel a lot and is really indie and she'll guide me so i hit her up and i was like hey what can i watch with zoe deschanel in it that isn't Mean Girl. That isn't Mean Girl. Is that what the show is? Whatever. And she gave me this film, and I sat and I watched it, and I thought it was really, really good. So then I researched it for this podcast because I thought maybe it's not indie and hipster enough for this. And I looked, and it's the most hipster film we're discussing on this list. New Girl, not Mean Girl. Oh my God, New Girl. Mean Girl's a different thing. Um, and this film is called Flakes. The plot of Flakes is a struggling mu- musician, Neil Downs, works as a manager of a little New Orleans eatery called Flakes, owned by old hippie Willie B, that serves nothing but cold cereal to its loyal clientele. When a rival franchise opens up across the street, Neil's girlfriend, the self-named Pussy Cats, applies for a job at the new establishment as a means of getting back at Neil for refusing to hire her at his place. With such an interesting and revolutionary plot, I'm sure you're all hooked. Let me provide further information about how well it was received. So Flakes was released in one cinema in the whole entire world in on December 19th, 2007. It earned $311 in its opening weekend. It was only released for nine days before closing and made a massive $778. As of June of this year, it holds a 20% approval rate on the reviewer aggregated score site, Rotten Tomatoes, based on 18 reviews, with an average score of 4.43. I fucking love this film. It's really good. It's so stupid. It's a man who owns a cereal shop, and his girlfriend's called Pussycats and Zoe fucking Deschanel. Um, I'll talk about the rest of the cast, because everyone else did that. Um, Aaron Stanford 
who was Pyro in X-Men 2 and X-Men The Last Stand. And Doug in the 2006 remake of The Hills Have Eyes. Don't know what any of those things are apart from Pyro. But, you know, he was in them. Then there was Zoe Deschanel, as discussed frequently and often. Um, Christopher Lloyd is in it. He plays Willie B. Big up Christopher Lloyd. And then there's some other people that I've never heard of. So, you know. Yeah. I've out hipster jewel, motherfuckers. Oh, the director. Let, let's chuck him in whilst we're at it. Michael Lehman, who directed black comedy Heathers. Not heard of that either. The floor? What, what have we got to add? I think, yeah, you have literally out hipstered us. I have never heard of this film whatsoever. And the fact that it was released in one cinema and made, how much is it, 700 and something dollars was the return? $778 at the box office. There we go. Yeah. Wow, that's... Well, I actually applaud you because I th- I thought my Iranian independent film was going to be the most hipster. No, I got beaten to the punch. Well done. I've never heard of this, but it does sound... It's got it's got Zoe Deschanel, Christopher Lloyd. It's an indie film about a guy who was it a guy who works at a, ser- a cereal selling restaurant. I He's mean, the manager yeah. of the restaurant. Manager. There we go. Yeah, fine. Um, I'm on board. I'm gonna. I I don't know where I could find to watch this, but I'm gonna try. I found it at age sixteen. On some real dodgy sites. Not recommended to anyone ever. But it never got a DVD release, so what else were we meant to do? I just I love the fact that Johnson went in hard with his black and white Iranian film, thinking that nobody had ever heard of it. And I was like, oh, I've watched that. And then Kimbo, who has spent most of the episode going, um, I have nothing to say because I have never heard or watched any of those. Absolutely 360s goes full fucking Randy Orton and comes straight out of nowhere and then hits us with a $700 box office non-smash that nobody's ever heard of, maybe four people have seen. Like, what the fuck? Kimbo, like, just golf claps. Golf claps all around. Well done. I'm, I'm amazed. I did not anticipate this being the way that this episode recording would go. Um, but I'm just really happy that that's just happened. I've never heard of it outside of, like, you mentioning it briefly. Um, I've never seen it. I don't know if it's ever going to be feasible for me to ever see it. Um, If I can, I will, (laughs) just because it sounds fucking ridiculously awesome. Uh, But, yeah, I'm just going to enjoy the moment of Kimbo out film nerding the self-proclaimed film nerd of the group. I'm just going to sit here and bask in this glorious moment. Enjoy, guys. I mean, it says two things about this film. When there is no reference anywhere on the internet of its budget. So that says everything. Two, when you say dodgy websites, look at the film poster and you would genuinely think this isn't a box office film. This is something you see on a adult website. It looks so 
poorly put together as a poster. And it just looks like a... I mean, I'm not quite sure what it would be about called Flakes. Unless he's got his dick in a box of cereal. I don't... It's... When we share this poster through the socials, you guys are going to shit a brick, listeners at home, because this just looks like a like Zoe Deschanel did a porno once. I, I can't even. I, I, yeah, I've I've stopped being able to. Yeah. Um. Just as a, a side question, because we seem to have actually been able to stay on topic, so I think we can squeeze this in. Um. Out of curiosity. Was anybody like, oh, well, yeah, of course that one would get mentioned for that category, like what you've heard other people say? And are there any that you're actually actively going to now go and watch now you've heard them mentioned? Just just curious, mainly. Like, it's nice knowing, like, because we get to share this. Has it influenced you at all? Have you gone like, oh, yeah, I remember that film. Ah, no, I disagree entirely. Or, like, have you just gone, oh, I've never heard of that, but that sounds fucking amazeballs. Let's get it in my eye sockets. I'll like, go. I'm, I'm going to try and find flakes. <laughs> Completely going to try and find flakes. I'll go. Um, I mean, I've, I've heard of, like, literally maybe four films that have been said and two of them were Strawns. So, <laughs> um, I, I expected someone to say Waterworld. I wasn't sure I would expect Johnson to have said Waterworld. Uh, it's kind of the the meme of shit films, isn't it? So it's always a controversial. I really liked Waterworld thing, um, but he came up with what sounded like valid points. I'm not going to watch Waterworld though; it's not my thing. I do want to watch every Kevin Smith film because I feel like I'm really missing out on a party there. Um. And I feel like I have to try and watch Treasure Planet, otherwise Strong Female will murder me in my sleep. Um, but I'm not watching the Kingfisher thing. That sounds like it'll make me cry, and I, I don't like crying. I am a stoic beast. Oh, that makes me really sad, because of the two films that I've mentioned, if I had to, like put a gun to your head and say you've got to watch one of these two and it has to be this one I would absolutely go with Fisher King and you'd, I'd just I'd buy you like a multi-pack of Kleenex so you could cry uncontrollably because it's worth it like it's just it as brutal as it is and as really sad as it is it does ultimately make you feel a little bit better because there's some sense of redemption there and there's hope you leave the film feeling like there's always hope there's always a second chance you can always try and put something right. Like you don't have to be defined by a mistake. You can make good. And so that's as as quite dark as some of the aspects of the story are. I say it deals heavily with mental illness and the ramifications that you can have on any individual just because of something you say. Like it makes you very aware of that, the ramifications that your just your words can have on somebody else's entire life. And that you are one bad event from losing absolutely everything. You can lose your entire, you can lose your career, you can lose, you, you know, your, your loved ones, you can lose your home. It takes one bad event. It makes you feel really lucky to be in a position where you, you've not crossed that bridge, that you you are on the other side of it. You've got the people that you care about. You've got, like, you, you know, we bitch and moan about our jobs and 
this year has been clusterfuck. But ultimately, we've still, you know, we've still got each other. A job might not be that satisfying, but we've got it. We can pay the bills. We can keep a roof over our head. We've not, you know, we've got a lot to be thankful for as much as it can be a little bit dreary and grinding sometimes. It makes you feel very lucky to be in a position where you can moan about not necessarily having a good day at work because at least you had work to go to. So it, it just, it gives you like a a sense of gratitude and an awareness of yourself and how judgmental you are. Like it makes you really, really understand that being judgmental is almost a knee-jerk reaction and we really need to train ourselves out of it because you would see this guy on the street and you would just assume that like he deserved to be there. And when you find out what made Perry Perry, you feel like the scum of the universe. And it does completely shift your gears, like in a very positive way. Like it will it will knock a lot of the the bitterness and jadedness out of you and make you feel a little bit more hopeful and make you try harder to be a better human being. Just to not take away from what you've said there, Natalie, but also just to like bring us up a little bit after that um heartfelt moment. Um I wouldn't trust Kimber with a box of tissues after looking at that poster for flakes. So you know, it's just I wouldn't I wouldn't go there. Um I'm going to go away and watch the two best films, or three of the best films we've mentioned tonight. I'm going to watch More Rats, Interstate 60, and The Fisher King, because they're the three best ones we spoke about tonight. So, you know, um, there is that. But Kimbo, I will recommend uh, More Rats is currently on Netflix. And you will love some of the humor in it, because they reference Superman and Star Wars. And uh, just, yeah, it's it's glorious. Yeah, I think for me, I'm... I knew Interstate 60 was coming up because there was absolutely no way that Maelstrom was not going to mention that film, like, at all. So, yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm actually going to go away and watch uh, The Fisher King and Flakes, if I can get hold of Flakes. Because even saying it really sounds wrong. What's worrying me is you went on dodgy website typed in the word flakes and luckily came away with a, a normal film starring Zoe Deschanel. It does sound like you were going to get a documentary on sort of a penis rash. Both dodgy sides. The, the aforementioned friend who also appreciated Zoe Deschanel guided me to flakes via the dodgy website. I didn't randomly go on weirdfuckingfilms.com Type in flakes and hope for the best. Like, I knew the website was dodgy. Just, I didn't do all the research. I just took the link and was like, ooh, Zoe. Weirdfuckingfilms.com. That's just fucking. Kimbe, you've just been the gift that is given for, for like the latter part of this recording. I'm, I fucking love you, boo. Brilliant. Weirdfuckingfilms.com. Quote of the Most underappreciated member of this podcast. The worrying thing is, it Lies. got a DVD release in America. Who the fuck warranted it getting released on DVD in America? Jesus Christ. Like, I know it got unveiled at South by Southwest Festival, but apparently you can buy it and watch it online in America. There is nowhere in the UK that has it that I can find. Yeah. Good luck finding that one, folks, without finding some sort of dodgy crotch flakes website. 
Right, and on dodgy crotch website, I think we're going to have to draw this to a close now. <laughs> but yeah, um, so uh, yeah, by all means, get in contact with us again. I hope you've enjoyed the um, the episode. Any films we should have mentioned, uh, any you agree with us on or disagree with us on, anything at all, let us know. Uh, we're always available on our socials. We've got an email, trainpopculture at gmail.com. All on the usual places. We've got uh, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, trainpopculture. And on Twitter, we're culture underscore train. So... We've had fun talking about uh, films we love, films we think should have done well. So, we've come to the end of our journey, much like Interstate 60. (sighs) So, on that note, Skull. Prost. Slangivar. Wait, 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 one goddamn minute. As the underappreciated member of this podcast, I'm taking over. I'm injecting this podcast with a lethal dose of poison. I'm recommending you all head over to KWO Wrestling Podcasts, where you can hear me, King of Charisma Kimbo, partner up with my wonderful brother, Rainman Dylan, and we will be chatting Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, and Impact on the reg. Head over there, check us out. Most underappreciated member of the podcast out. And and so humble as well. Fighting. <laughs>